Hello there. Ready to record a podcast? Yes, sir. Working over your microphone, I see. That's the way. The podcaster's best friend. You'll be good to it, and it'll always be good to you. Well, good luck to you. Carry on. Thank you, sir. Hello there. Ready to record a podcast? Is everything all right? All right. Yes, sir. I'm all right. Good fella. Sir, he's a bit film-shocked. He just reviewed the bleak anti-war movie Pals of Glory. I beg your pardon? There's no such thing as film-shock, is there? Uh, What's the point? (laughs) If movies aren't terrible, then they're so bleak and hopeless. Get a grip on yourself. You're acting like a coward. I am a coward, sir. Battlefield Earth, Heaven's Gate. I won't review another movie. I won't! I want you to immediately transfer this baby out of my regiment. I won't have other brave podcasters contaminated by him. Maybe we should execute him. Great idea! The troops are mutinying, refusing to advance. Fire as ordered until further notice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Hart. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation. Uh, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good. Wouldn't you say, Steve? I would say its reputation is quite good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, it's overshadowed by this director's other bigger films, but it's still a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And def- if, if, among people who are familiar with this director's films, I think it's it's got a lot of it. Yeah. So there we go. We're done with our review. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your isolation at home. It's a good movie. Bye, everybody. <laughs> We're not telling you what movie it is. You gotta just figure it out by the context clues of our stupid opening skit. Steve, what huh? movie are we reviewing? We are reviewing 1957's anti-war film, Paths of Glory. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, Steve. Uh-huh. Do you have any trivia for Paths of Glory? I do have some trivia for Paths of Glory. Thank you for asking. Okay, you give the trivia, and I'm going to be busily tape, duct taping my doors closed. Oh, great. Okay. Got to be careful. Don't want to get the COVID-19. You sure don't. Okay, so... Um, I bet in a year from now, we'll re-listen to these jokes about COVID-19 and laugh and laugh. Yeah. Or cry until we fall on the floor it'll always be funny (laughs) um so so this movie was directed by stanley kubrick and (gasps) it's one of his earlier films and even though it's one of his his early films it's from the sort of pre like kubrick portion of his career um he was he was already starting to demonstrate that obsession with detail and perfectionism that would go on to become one of his hallmarks for instance, yes. in this movie, there's a scene where, uh, when we'll get into this when we get into the plot, but there's a scene where there are some guys who have been uh, sentenced to be executed and they get a last meal. Uh-huh. And there's a uh-huh. scene where the guy brings them in their last meal and they're eating their last meal. And that scene took 68 takes. Oh. And, and guess what? <laughs> what? Did it make it into the movie? I, I Well, if, I mean, some of it made it into the movie, but um, but, <laughs> but the thing is... Because it's a scene where there where, where there's food in the scene and they have to eat or at least like you know acting eat and appear to consume mm-hmm. the food, um, they had to prepare a new roast duck, which was the food they were brought. Um, not for every yeah. single take, but for quite a few takes, they had to keep bringing in new roast duck to have good-looking, fresh-looking food for these 68 takes of the last yes, meal scene. Right. Thanks, Stanley. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the catering budget appreciated your your perfectionism <laughs> uh i can't remember the name of the guy that's in that scene he's the tall guy with the beardy beard which guy was that that was uh 
What's his oh, name? Oh, for, uh, f- uh, uh, f- uh, Farol or Farrell? Oh, Timothy Carey. Oh, the it's actor. Timothy yeah, Carey. Yeah, yeah. Timothy Carey uh, was kind of difficult to work with. And he, uh, in order to, what he thought would bring um, attention to the film, he faked a kidnapping of himself. Oh, how fun. That's not all my trivia. <laughs> you want to hear, do you have some more trivia? No, you go ahead. Okay. Hey, Steve. Yeah? Everyone loved this movie when it came out, right? They did? I did they did? They did? Like it. They didn't like it? No, because it was anti-war and we oh. got to be pro-war. Oh, that's why they so didn't like it. So guess what France did? What did France do? France banned it, and it didn't get shown in its own in France until 1975. Oh, now why would France want to ban this movie? Because it's about French army and how they're awful, evil people. Oh, oh, I get it now. Sure, it might it makes them look a little bad. And then Germany, overcompensating for World War II, said, "Don't say bad things about France." And then they <laughs> banned it until two years after the U.S. release. <laughs> I love that. That's the reason. What did you say about France? <laughs> Nobody talks but, about. France. France that way. But Spain, who is under the control of, uh, what's his name? Franco. Franco, yeah. Um, banned it, and it didn't get shown in Spain until 1986. Wow. And then it was banned in Switzerland for the same reason for being incontestably offensive to France, and it was banned in their country until 1970. Wow. I thought Switzerland was neutral. Yeah, well, apparently they're overcompensating <laughs> yeah, for something, well, too. Well, what, what could they be overcompensating for, I wonder? I don't know. Mm. And then the film was banned in all United States military establishments, Aww. both at home and overseas, because they didn't want guys to go, wait, what? Wait, what happened? <laughs> they killed guy. What happened? So the people who most needed to see it were not allowed to see it. That's right. Hmm. Hey, Steve, you want to know who made it and all that stuff? Yeah, tell me about who made it. Oh, wait, you... I have one more piece of trivia. Oh, well, okay, what is it? It's about it, it's about Adolf Manjou. Adolf Manjou? Yeah, so here's some things that Stanley Kubrick's well-known for. So on the 12th take of one of Adolf Manjou's scenes, Adolf Manjou said, I'm going to lunch, because they were already two hours past lunch. Right. And Stanley said, let's take another one. And then Adolf Manjou went into a racist tirade against Stanley Kubrick, questioned his parentage, and just kept screaming and yelling. And very wisely, Stanley just sat there and waited for the old asshole blowhard <laughs> The the fucking pro uh pro blacklisting asshole Adolf Manchu, <laughs> um to just have his anger just peter out and then Stanley said okay and we'll take it again and it was <laughs> like that's what you get that's what you get who would have thought that a guy named Adolf would be that much of a jerk <laughs> yeah didn't change his name or nothing yeah yeah change your name after the war dude mm-hmm. directed by Stanley Kubrick do I. <laughs> We've done how many of his movies, too? Done two yeah, of his movies, right. Spartacus and 2001. Yeah. You know, I'm just stop pretending like you don't. You're cinephiles just like yeah, us. Yeah, you know about Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. It was produced by James B. Harris, who also produced The Killing mm-hmm. and Lolita, two other Stanley Kubrick films. Screenplay by Stanley Kubrick. Calder Willingham, who also uh, adapted The Graduate, so I hate you forever, Calder. <laughs> and Little Big Man, which is, ugh, I haven't seen in a long time. And also Jim Thompson, who is a was a blacklisted uh, <gasps> crime writer. Um, 
and you may know him as they adapted one of his books, the, the Grifters, like long after he's dead. So there you go. Based on Paths of Glory by Humphrey Cobb. Ooh. And it stars Kirk Douglas as Colonel Dax. Do I? <laughs> Kirk Douglas? No? Um, I'd like to tip of the hat to old Kirk for making getting this movie made because nobody else wanted to, did they, oh, Steve? Oh, no. For, yeah, you know, as you were alluding to earlier, for some reason, nobody wanted to get behind a, a blatantly anti-war movie during the... But Kirk sure did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll make the he front, movie. He fronted uh, fronted the money for it, and uh, he uh, granted a third of the budget of this movie is going to his uh, going into his pocket. <laughs> but he wasn't making this movie because he thought it was going to make a shit zillion dollars. He was no. making this movie because he thought it was an important script. And unless you guys haven't noticed, Kirk was a really early lefty. Yeah, and his career shows it. And he kind of put that into his son. Not as good, because he's a boomer. But, you know, <laughs> but he, Kirk, he tried. Kirk was willing to sacrifice his career to die on hills that other people weren't. This is 1957. No one was making an anti-war film. No. Not really. Not really. All right. Ralph Meeker is Corporate Philippe Paris. And you'll know him from The Dirty Dozen. And he's done a ton of television. Adolf Manjou is Major General Georges Brulard, and we saw him in A Star is Born. Yeah. George McCready as Brigadier General Paul Moreau, and he was in Gilda and Tora, 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 and not a whole lot else. He was in, I mean, he did TV, yeah. he did stuff like that. I don't know. Wayne Morris as Lieutenant Roger, nothing. <laughs> Richard Anderson as Major St. Alban, and you know him from Forbidden Planet, but most importantly, as Oscar Goldman from The Bionic Man. Yeah, Six Million Dollar Man, yeah. Joe Turkel as Private Pierre Arnault, and he is one of the few actors that has appeared in more than one Stanley Kubrick film. That's right. He was in The Killing, and he played Ghost Bartender in The Shining. Yes, he did. But a lot of you guys will probably know him better as Tyrell from Blade Runner, the creepy old, the creepy old genetic the robot guy yeah. who gets his eyes smushed out. <laughs> <laughs> you go, Joe. Ah, Christine, Chris, Christiane, Christian as German singer. And you guys probably know her better as Christiane Kubrick. Because yep. right after they made this movie, her and him were fucking and they got married. So there you That's go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. watching her on the 900th take of her crying while singing that fucking song. <laughs> he was like, I'm going to marry that girl. <laughs> You passed the test. <laughs> Jerry Hausner is cafe proprietor, and he did a lot of TV and cartoon voiceover work. Peter Capel as president of the court martial nothing. Emil Mayer as Father Dupree, nothing. Bert Fried as Staff Sergeant Boulanger, nothing. Ken Dibbs as Private Lejeune, nothing. <laughs> Tim Carey as Private Maurice Farrell, a lot of TV. Yeah. Now, I talked about how it was hard to work with. So, a couple of things. He auditioned for Reservoir Dogs. And, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino, being the cinephile that he is, wanted to cast him, but didn't. But he's still... And then the the dude died, so he dedicated part of the film to him. So if you guys are wondering who's that guy in the beginning when it's dedicated, that's Timothy Carey, a guy who didn't get cast. Do you know what role he turned down so he could do a ridiculous TV show about a man who brings animals to life? <laughs> I do not. What did he turn down? He turned down the role of Luca Brazzi <gasps> in The Godfather. Oh, shit. I bet that hurts. That probably hurts oh, a lot. Oh, shit. Because the pilot that he shot was never picked up. Oh. No one has ever seen it. 
Isn't showbiz Fred, great? Yep. Fred Bell as Shellshock Soldier, John Stein as Captain Rousseau, Harold Benedict as Captain Nichols, and James B. Harris, that's right, the producer, mm. as Soldier in, in Attack. A brief cameo. Yeah. Music by Gerald Freed. Um, what music? All he did was play a drum. <laughs> Somebody had to write the notes. <laughs> Most of the there's no soundtrack to this, guys. It's all diegetic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, what music there is is the song at the end, or you know, someone um, playing a drum before the execution. If you haven't seen it, for I, why are you? <laughs> Spoilers. Go watch it. It's 88 minutes long. For Christ's Spoilers. sake. Spoilers. Spoilers. <sighs> Okay, fine. It has a cinematography. It has kind of a downer ending. Cinematography: George Krause, edited by Eva Kroll. That's right, a lady. Mm. Ladies usually didn't get credited a lot in movies, especially for editing. And what's is funny is because most of them were editors. A lot of them were editors. So yay, yay Hollywood. Production company: Berna Picture Productions. That's uh, that's good old Kirk Douglas's mom, Berna. <laughs> he loved his mommy. Named a production company after her. Same one, same production company that did Spartacus. Distributed by United Artists. Release date: December twenty fifth, nineteen fifty seven. What a great Christmas movie, Steve. Oh boy, you bring the whole family. Hey, kids, put your toys away. Get your coats on. We're going to go see a movie. <laughs> Paths of Glory. Doesn't it sound ex- imagine, inspiring? <laughs> imagine that car ride home after. <laughs> well, it was short. <laughs> Is that what happened to Grandpa in the war? Daddy won't stop crying, Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> he just gritted his teeth really hard, and he's not letting go of that <laughs> steering wheel. We've been in our driveway now for half an hour. <laughs> we ran through four stop signs in a row. Do we have to hide the war scrapbook from Daddy again? (laughs) (sighs) Ah, Running time, 88 minutes. Uh, The perfect running time. Mm -hmm. Budget, $900,000. I don't have any... I don't think it made... This got critical raves, but it did not make any money. No one wanted to go see this movie because it's a little depressing. And we have to, we always, we constantly have to make sure that we're great and armies are great and war is great. Right, Steve? Yeah, exactly. That's why we didn't. But, you know, I don't think, it wasn't like a, a failure. I think this was probably kind of like like Kubrick's, speaking of Reservoir Dogs, kind of like Kubrick's yeah. Reservoir Dogs, where it wasn't like a big, huge hit, but it, but enough people saw it, and it was good enough that people in Hollywood were like, let's give him something else to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. let's give him something else to do. He knows what let's he's doing. Let's not nominate this for Jack Sh- No, we'll, we'll... You know what came out we'll the sweep week this under the rug. this movie? <laughs> what? The Bridge Over the River Quiet. Oh, so there you go. Yeah, people, I was like, that one's in color, at least. People like that a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted, it had a little bit to say about war. It actually didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It was more of a crowd pleaser, though, you know. Yeah, a little little bit. bit. I mean, guys, yeah. It's got that guy from England, you know. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> we'll go see this movie. Alex something. He's named after a beer. I can't remember, but they blew up that bridge good. Oh, boy, did they? <sighs> All right, Steve, are you ready? I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, this is always a fun part. Come on, slap on your gag bag, man. We got to make this funny for the audience, yeah. or we're just going to get so angry. Let's do jokes about the most tragic war. <laughs> we did it before we did. we did the other great film anti-war that's true film. and we 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 quipped our way through that that's right we're gonna quip our way through this one right yeah Steve? so let's go back all to right. the trenches now let's put on all this stuff okay. our helmet yeah. and our bayonet and let's let's run out of the trench oh and head for the anthill oh. 
This is a suicide we, mission. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> as we run into the world of Paths of Glory, Steve, mm -hmm. take it away. Well, we get, first of all, very modest credits. Just names on yeah, black. Yeah, that's true. Just like, here, here, here's the title. Here's who's in it. Movie. Here's who made yeah. it. Um, Look how big his name is. Yeah. Kirk Douglas. Um, and then we... Stanley Kubrick's name is awfully big on that screen. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he knows, he, he knew what was up. Let's well, so the people back in Brooklyn go, oh, that nice boy that lived next door to us is making movies about in France. <laughs> he made this movie all by himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and then as, as uh, Kubrick liked to do in some of his early films, we get a voiceover. Ugh. And the voiceover explains that this is things. The voiceover explains <laughs> that this is like in the in the the middle of World War One, and Germany the and France insults our intelligence. And did we need any any of the information that was provided to us in that voiceover? Was any of that needed? I guess not really. Does the narrator come back at any? He point? doesn't. So why can't we just? Cut that right out. He, or are we that dumb? What's World War One, honey? He should have come in in the middle and said, see, I told you, it's bleak, right? You know, my grandfather would point to where his leg was and just say World War One. I, I never knew what he meant. <laughs> he would do this apropos of nothing during birthday parties. My uncle had to drink through a straw that was stuck into a mask that was on his face. <laughs> And he'd gurgle out. <laughs> I thought it was just so I don't know. Apparently it was, a, weird. it was a conflagration of some note in the early 20th century. This, this narrator just keeps going on and on about but, it. <laughs> but yeah, so the narrator basically tells us what, you know, what anybody who studied World War One at any at any level already knows that. Like you did in second yeah, grade. Yeah, exactly. You second World grade, you study World War One, And mm -hmm. it's like... And here's a man with no eyelids and his lower jaw is gone. He survived, but he didn't have a good life. <laughs> Why are you showing us this? We're eight. What are you saying? And here's what happens to people's bodies on the first machine gun. You turned a crank. It was awful. Why? <laughs> now let me tell you what became of Christy Mathewson. Do you know what mustard... <laughs> the idol of millions, but guess what? Mustard gas might sound yummy, but it isn't. <laughs> Not when taken through the nostrils. <laughs> See, we got jokes. We can do this. Where did this teacher come from? Why is he talking like that? Where's our regular teacher? <laughs> um, no, so basically... He's learning his own lesson. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it got so much bleaker. Um, no, so basically the narrator tells us that World War I is going on and France and Germany yeah. have been fighting each other for like the last two years. And basically they just keep trading the same couple hundred yards of land over and over. And nobody's yeah. making any progress. Over and over. Yeah. No matter how many soldiers they put into that meat grinder, they don't, nothing happens. <laughs> but they just keep fighting. <laughs> and we see a car pull up to a palatial mansion. Yeah, yeah, and this is like the uh, the, uh, the military headquarters of the French army, and uh, yeah. we see this is Adolf Manjou's character, General Brulard. Mm -hmm. He comes walking into the headquarters of General Moreau, yeah. and they have a nice little meeting. And he's like, "Hey, nice place you got set up here." And General Moreau is like, "Yeah, thanks. I didn't really do a whole lot to it. It was nice when I got here." And then, oh, I can't wait for this war to be over so I can set up that island and do all of those animals. Exactly. <laughs> you always were interested in science, weren't you, Moreau? 
Um, and and so <laughs> and it turns out General Brillard is here because he's like, so you know this place called the Ant Hill, like the totally impenetrable. Oh, now don't you be making a mountain out of that? <laughs> exactly. You, you know that place called the Ant Hill, where with the name that is carrying a lot of thematic weight in <laughs> yes, this in this story. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, he says, okay, so you know how we've never been able to take it, and it's pretty much impossible mm-hmm. uh, to take. Yes. And anybody who tried to right. take the ant, who it would just be a waste of time, and it would be basically a suicide oh, yes. mission. Um, Everyone did. Yeah, so I want you to try and take it day after tomorrow. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> My men are fantastic. Way! I'll kill every man to take that hill. I promise you. <laughs> but if every man is dead, then who actually has the hill? Oh, those don't quibble about details later. I'll do it. <laughs> do you want the hill or don't you? Of course you do. Yay. Yeah. And it, and then Brulard says he mentions that he could get promoted. Exactly. And that's what really seems to turn him around on it. You know, he gets a big boner. Yeah. He gets a big, you know, promotion. Promotion, boner. eh? Yeah, and he... Okay, so uh, Moreau has a dueling scar. Yes. Now, the first time I watched this uh, back in the Pleistocene era, <laughs> I thought that maybe he that was a war scar. Right. You know, that in a previous war. And then I thought, well, no, actually, it makes more sense for this character who have never en- encountered real battle, so maybe that is just a dueling scar for, like, a sword fight. Right. But then I thought, well, if he's sword fighting, when, when is this taking place? This isn't back in the sword fighting days. <laughs> So then I thought maybe he got kicked by a mule and he's never. But that's not. No. He has a scar. He has a big scar on his face. I yeah. Can't account for the scar, other than he probably got it when he was fighting in a war. Yeah, right? you would think. Yeah. Well, at the end of the movie, he refers to himself as a soldier. Yes, a soldier. Anyway, yeah. so Moreau goes to the place. All the guys are outside the anthill. Right? Yeah, he goes to the to the front lines. Yeah. And he's walking up to guys and he says, "You there? Are you ready to kill Germans?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." Good for you. That's the correct answer. Sure. Very good. Bye bye. And uh, these soldiers are looking pretty tired, aren't oh, they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're covered in mud. Dirty. They're exhausted. Yeah. Bombs are still going off. Yeah. You can hear shooting and bombs. He goes up to another guy and he's like, "You there, with the dopey smile on your face? Are you ready to kill Germans?" <laughs> the guy's just like, "Well." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the guys says he's shell shocked, sir. And he doesn't believe in shell shock. No, there's no such thing as shell shock, soldier. Even though this this is the war that got that for that's where we like, got it. We, in- we invented it. It's real. We invented it. <laughs> no, 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 no such thing. Do you think there was such a thing as sh- as sword shock <laughs> back in the day? Sword shock. Or, you know, no such thing as sword pole shock. Pole arm shock, shock or whatever. Club shock for and, the cavemen. Yeah. He slaps the guy around because he starts talking about his wife and giggling. And he says, get this man out of here. I would have babies on my front. Right. Line. He'll right. infect the rest of the regiment with his cowardice. Right. And he's walking through and we're getting one of those. He does it a couple of times. And there's one of those great sh- long shots from moving shots. Oh, yeah. The tracking shot. Movement. Totally. Yeah. A tracking shot as he's walking through the trenches. But he's there to see Colonel Dax. Yes. And Colonel Dax hasn't gotten married to Worf yet. No. Colonel Dax is still single. And she's dealing with the trill that's inside of her body. Right, this is like an answer. This is an early host. I went host. to a happy place. I went to a happy place, Steve. <laughs> this is an earlier host. I was no longer in World War One. I. I was on Deep <laughs> yeah. Space Nine where I, every everybody's my friend. And I can warn them about bad things coming. And I'd be like, be careful of the paw race, snacks, <laughs> because they're going to kill you and your fucking baby. <laughs> Don't go in the temple. Okay, I apologize to everyone who doesn't. 
love Star Trek as much as Steve and I do. Just, just I went on a nerd screed for a little yeah. while. It's a heavy okay. movie. It's a it's heavy, a heavy movie, movie and you need a break. That's all. We've got to get through it without getting so fucking angry. <laughs> Because this movie is effective, yeah. That that we can be funny and haha about it, right? Yeah. So anyway, this colossal asshole <laughs> is looking for Colonel Dax, yeah. right? And Dax is there, and he's like, "I need you to throw all your men at the ant hill and take it. Most of them are going to die. I have all the percentages written yeah. here. Hey, sidekick, tell them it's like fifty percent of your guys are going to die before they even pop their heads out of the trench, and then another fifty percent will die as they run towards the, the ant hill, and then another fifty percent <laughs> will die, you know, when they get halfway there, and then seventy-five uh, percent will die climbing up it." <laughs> And an additional 128% will die <laughs> just getting up onto the anthill. I think it will be a total success. Great. Yeah. I'm I'm awesome. You do it. You do it now. Yeah. He and, even he, he threatens to, to send him home if he doesn't agree to do it. Yeah. He yeah. says, and, yeah. and he, he says, you, why, Colonel Dax, you haven't, not once during this conversation, have you expressed any enthusiasm for taking the anthill? He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't understand. I just told you to kill all of your men for uh, a position that makes no no benefit for us. Just so that we could say we took it, so I could get my promotion. I mean, so that I so we can win this so war. So we'll win the war. <laughs> That's all I care about. <laughs> but Dax is like, uh, orders are orders, right? Right. So prior to the attack, we meet Roger, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, he's nice, huh? He's he's great. a great. He doesn't make me angry. Either. He's a great person, and it's good that he's in a position of authority in the military. <laughs> and he is leading a nighttime scouting mission, yeah, right? right? And he's like, "I'm pooping my pants," and they're like, "Shut up!" And he goes, "You go out there and you go ahead and you find out what's going on." And then he gets so scared that he's like, "I know what will make me feel better." And the other guy's like, "What?" And he said, "If I throw a grenade, how is that going to make you feel better?" "Shut up! I'm terrified. I want to throw a grenade. It's something that I think is over there, and I'm going to do it." And he throws it and he runs away. He goes, "Bye bye!" Yeah. And, it, and it blows up, right, yeah. Steve? Yeah. And then the other guy, and the other guy is like, "Fuck me!" And he goes off, right? <laughs> and what does he find? He, he finds the their fellow soldier that went ahead to scout, and he's dead. Yeah, he's still smoking. He's super dead, yeah. He's he's freshly killed. Right. And the guy comes back, and um, Tafrosia is already cleaned up because yeah. they had stuff on their face. And writing his report. And he's like, oh, I thought you died out there. And he's like, yeah, yeah I bet you wish you <laughs> did. You son of a bitch, you. But Roger's like, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm and I'm gonna lie in my report to Colonel Dax. Ha ha! About them apples. Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! No comeuppance. Get used to that, everybody. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> next morning is the super fun attack on the anthill. And they get there and they take it over, and the Germans are like, "You're so much more superior than us." And that's the end of the movie, right? Uh, it's kind of the opposite of that. John Wayne's like, get over the hill, get over the hill, and they're just shooting everybody. Go get those Rock Jerry's. <laughs> right. And the young guy who has his whole life ahead of him gets shot, and he lays there, and he's like, tell my girlfriend, Gah. and then John Wayne goes like, oh, you died for a reason, son. <laughs> and then shoot all the Germans again, right, because this is a war movie. Yeah, that's exactly what doesn't happen. None of that happens. No. no. 
what happens is we see uh, they bleakly try to charge and uh, you know Dax is like on the first wave first we have the walkthrough long tracking shot of him walking through past his ranks yeah. as they're getting ready to climb over the hill and they're bombing the shit out of them and then he finally puts his whistle in his mouth and he's like okay guys ready to die I mean <laughs> take the anthill and they're like okay. and he, le- he leads the first yeah he leads the first wave of soldiers and they're under heavy fire right, right? none of them reach the German trenches in fact we never see a German soldier in this no, movie no they never get anywhere close yeah yeah and then uh, he runs back, and he finds Company B has refused to leave the trench. Yeah. Because they sustained heavy casualties, and um, he can't get them to leave. Meanwhile, safe in a bunker somewhere else, uh, Moreau, the asshole, <laughs> is like, how come they're not leaving? I need them to leave. Why won't they leave? Oh, I got an idea. Tell the artillery to open fire on my own men to force them into the battlefield, yeah. right? So they make a phone call, <laughs> and they call out, and they're like, the first guy who's writing on a piece of paper, and he says, I'm not doing it without a direct order. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm not firing on like, our he own said, people. He said, fuck you, sir. <laughs> Give me that phone. <laughs> so Moreau gets on the phone and he's like, I'm telling you to do it. And the guy on the other end is like, unless I have a written order, fuck you. Right. And he's like, no, I'm telling you directly. And he's like, look, if you die and I do that, how's it going to look? It's going to look like I went cuckoo right. brains and fired on my it's own gonna people. It's going to fall on me. Exactly. Yeah. And it ain't going to fall on me. And I'm, you better. And he's like, I'm going to demote you. I'll put you in front of a firing squad because unless we haven't covered it, Moreau is a piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. And then Dax comes back to the trenches. He tries to rally Company B to join the battle. Um, he tries to climb out of the trench, and then a body of a, of a dead dude falls and knocks him down. Yeah, and this, we should note that Co- Company B is Lieutenant Roger's outfit. So right. he's kind of, you know, he's, he's perfectly happy to stay back and not get, a, not get killed. Yeah, and not yeah. die. He's, he's like, they're killing us. They're killing us out there. So it failed. Yeah. So Moreau decides... At, at, back at the back at the mansion, yeah. is like, listen, let's court martial a hundred guys for cowardice. Yeah, because <laughs> this can't possibly be my fault. No, it's, right? They, they, they just didn't get the job done. So he says, let's let's pick a hundred men at random and court martial them and execute them, and that'll mm. raise everybody's spirits. And Berlard's like, come on, seriously? And he's like, no, seriously, a hundred of them, I don't care. We'll just take a hundred of them, we'll shoot them all. We'll shoot them all, that'll be great. Can't wait to see that in the newspaper. (laughs) The the people back home will love that. And Brulard's like, okay, how about this? We'll 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 do three guys, right. one from each company. Right. We're gonna do, it's gonna be a lesson to everybody, right? And meanwhile, (laughs) Dax is sitting there. Just sitting on a... It's Kirk Douglas. Right. He, you can just tell he's not happy with it, but he's a soldier. Yeah. He's not going to yell at his superior officers. He's arguing every point. He's like, they didn't do... None, we did. We we went and with the shooting, and it was impossible. And you asked, what are you assholes right. doing? Right, this was your idea. <laughs> so when they finally settle on the three-person idea, he said, let me, let me, please let me represent them in the court-martial. Right. And they're like, yeah, sure, okay. Sure, whatever, dude. Yeah, the totally fair court-martial. Yeah, yeah the, well, you, you can The court martial. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. <laughs> so who do they pick? Well, uh, they pick uh, the the sergeant who went out with Lieutenant Roger. 
And uh, Roger wants and, him to keep him from testifying right, about what he did. Right. And then they they pick uh, Private Arnaud, who is the Joe Turkle guy. Yeah, and how they pick him? Uh, he's just picked randomly, isn't he? They drew. Yeah, lots. he's he's the one who's just picked completely randomly. Uh-huh. And then and then Private Private Farrell, Fer- Farrell yeah. Because he is a social undesirable. Yeah. So it's a completely up and up process. Like it's very fair, you know. Not because he looks Jewish. No, what? No, no, don't bring. That's ugly. That's an ugly thing to say. Don't bring that kind of. No, he's socially and un- he's a social undesirable, right? Yeah. He probably farts he a farts, lot. And they're it, just like it'll be good to have him out of the, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely not because he looks ethnic. Uncontrollable flatulence. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> Dax. Who said he was a criminal defense lawyer in civilian life. Yes. He's defending both of them. Um, but something happens while he's talking. While the Okay, so a priest comes and visits him, right? And the priest is like, just accept it. Yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> you're screwed. And so uh, they get in a fist fight, and Farrell punches Arnaud in the face yeah. and knocks him down. And we're like, oh, no. And then we have the trial, right, Steve? Yeah, and that doesn't... The super fair trial. <laughs> it doesn't go as well as uh, Dax was hoping it would. It's one of them, what do you call them? It's a farce. Yeah, a show trial. <laughs> There's no written indictment. There's no stenographer. Yeah. And the court refuses to admit any evidence that would support for an acquittal. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. No evidence and no witnesses. He's not allowed. He's basically not allowed to offer any kind of defense for them at all. Right. Yeah. And Dax is like, what are you fucking doing? <laughs> you guys suck. If you do this, you're going to feel bad later. And they're like, no, no we're, we're not. not. Have we you won't. met us? We won't. <clears throat> so they're sentenced to death. Yeah. Right, Steve? Oh, boy. Okay, so the night before, they're having a ball. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're having a ball. Yeah, literally. Not like like a, like a literal ball. Yeah. And Dax comes in, and um, he's like... No, uh, that's right. Well, he, yeah, he so, gets before that. What's he his gets face? Told, the, yeah. the artillery. So here's what happened. So number one, we skipped over this. After yeah. the battle, <laughs> Moreau tells uh, uh, the major general, "Oh, I'm demoting this one artillery guy. He needs to be shelved because he's just not good anymore." Yeah. Oh, you mean the one that you ordered to fire on your own troops? Shut up! Yeah. Shut up! Shut up! the major general. <laughs> no, no, no. He's just he's, yeah, but he's not good. So we're gonna put him away. That guy goes to Dax while he's getting ready to go to bed, and right. he's like, "I got something to tell you." Right. And Kubrick and the script is setting you up, okay? They're setting you up. They're willing, they want you to believe that this is going to end like any other movie where at the last minute, justice, right, Steve? Right. Oh, yeah. Justice. I, exactly. Right? So, oh, so now Dax is going to, to uh, the general and he's like, guess what? Uh, he he told them to fire on his own trenches and um, I'm gonna, so stop, spare yeah. the men and this won't get out. And uh, Roulard is like, uh-huh, that's great. Yeah. And then he dismisses Dex and he goes back to the ball. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so is he going to go on what? the phone to somebody or what? what? What's happening? Yeah. Who's, who's going to save the guys who are innocent? The next morning, 
they're taken out to be shot by a firing squad. Oh, and also Dax. <laughs> Dax knows about Roger and what happened during the night patrol. Right. And he t- brings him into his room. And there's nothing that Dax can do except for petty vengeances. And he tells Roger, hey, you're going to lead the firing squad tomorrow. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, fuck you. You're going to do it. He's like, you're doing it. You're tying the blindfolds on and you're giving the order. And he's like, uh, will haunt me for the rest of my life, sir. Fuck you and do it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you wanted it, now you get to do it. So they're out there and uh, and they get saved. The Americans show up and go, stop this. This is injustice. It's John Wayne. And so they tie him to poles. Yep. One guy they have to prop up because yeah. uh, no. he's yeah. Yeah, because he's uh, they literally pop him up, keep him in his cot and they tie him to the pole. He's not even conscious. At one point, someone pinches his cheek right before to wake him up for it, I guess? Yeah. I don't so know. He can, so he can wake up for the last seconds before he gets shot? Yeah. When Roger offers a blindfold to uh, Paris, he, he says under his breath, he's sorry, which is, oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. That means, a, that means an awful lot. It means a lot. lot. It means Thank a lot you. to me. I'm glad you said that. Seriously. And um, then they they tell everybody to take aim, and uh, any minute, come on, this is come on, this is the this can't happen, right, Steve? This can't happen. Where innocent men are shot, right? Oh. This can't happen. This is a war movie, Steve. Um, ready? Stop <laughs> aim. it! No, fire! And they are killed. They're dead. Yep. Sorry. But that's okay because the next morning it's breakfast. <laughs> Everything's it's fine. Breakfast. And yeah. Poulard is um, eating breakfast with Moreau and he's all gloating. He's like, I thought this went, this was a very excellent execution. I thought it went very, very well. I think it's great. Oh, ho, ho, I'm so good. No one knows about me. Ordering to fire on my mo- own. Wait, was that? <laughs> <laughs> You heard what? Yeah, so Dax shows up, and he's like, Dax, I want you to see what I'm going to do. <laughs> Check this out. And he says that his order to fire is going to be investigated, and and uh, uh, Moreau stands up, and he's like, wait, what? And he's like, yes, we know. And he's like, you can't do this to me. I'm a soldier, and boy, you're stabbing me. And I, you guys are bad, and I don't like it. And he, and he leaves. Yeah. And then Brulard is like, well, everything worked out well, the way you wanted to. And Dax is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? And he's like, you orchestrated this whole thing so that you could get his job. And Dax, that's when Dax finally loses his temper. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's He calls him, what does he call him? A degenerate, a, sadistic a, old man. Yeah, yeah. And this doesn't even phase Moreau. No, he just, he, he calmly asks him for an apology. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't get one. No. And he says he pities him because he's yeah. an idealist. Yeah. Right? Wallowing in sentimentality. And Dax realizes that there's no way that he can convince Moreau that what happened was wrong and wasn't out of some desire for him for, an advance, for advancement. And he says, I pity you. Because he's lost all of his humanity, right? Yeah. Um, and then it was all a misunderstanding and the guys were alive. They were shot with dummy bullets and they're okay, right? It was all it was all a masterful oh, snafu no. on the French military and higher-ups. They're no. alive and, and see, because they outwitted witted them, right, Steve? No, they're, no, they're dead. <laughs> they're de- I'm sorry. They're dead. So... Dax notices that his soldiers are having a party 
Right. And he goes in there, and a guy goes, hey, guess what I caught in one of my traps? It's the German girl. <laughs> I caught it one in a girl trap. And all the guys are like, woo, yay, let's all make her feel terrified. Like, we're all going to take turns on her or something. Yeah. Uh. But instead, she sings a song called The Faithful Hussar. And the guys go from whooping to all humming, right? Yeah, yeah. And Dax has got received orders that all the guys are going to have to go and go fight some more. Yeah. And the guy's like, uh, hey, let's get him going. He's like, give him a little bit more time, right? And then he goes to a building and he he walks in and at, and then it says, just kidding, they really lived. And the end, right, Steve? <laughs> Except for the just kidding part. That's the end. So, uh, Steve? Uh-huh? How, how do you feel about this completely unsentimental anti-war film? <laughs> Paths of glory. We uh, we didn't mention. By the way, you know the yeah. whole quote, right? Yeah, actually, I was I was just gonna I was just gonna say that I was just gonna, good. The, Do the, it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 title of the book and all, and of the movie is from uh, a poem by Thomas Gray called mm. "Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard." And it's from a stanza of the poem that goes, uh, the boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Um, and, you know, and so it's the perfect title for, for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because if you don't know, if you know it out of context, you think, oh, paths of glory. Yeah, a great war movie title. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, path, no, it's, it's not good. <laughs> the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Um, <laughs> Francois Truffaut famously said that he had never seen a truly anti-war film. Yeah. Because for him, every film about war winds up being pro-war. Which I brought up during All Quiet yeah. on the Western Front, and we both disagreed. disagreed right, exactly. With it. Exactly, and I disagree with it in that in, in that way on that film, and I mm-hmm. disagree with it. I disagree with it here too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think Stanley Kubrick definitely made an anti-war film yep. here, and he did it by focusing less on the war itself. Which is where all the glory comes from. He does. He doesn't focus on oh, look how bravely the men fight, right? No. Um, it's more about well, look how little that matters, mm-hmm. you know. Because we we get a sense in the brief battle scene that we see as they're trying to advance on the anthill. We see like the you know they're not cowards. They're they're no. trying their best to advance. Uh, they're they're not do they're not anything like what they're accused of being later in the movie, and it doesn't matter. No. Um, Paths of Glory is not. It's about the absurdity of war. It's not. It's not about the horrors of actually fighting in the war itself. It, although we we get a glimpse of that, but it's about the absurdity of war in general. Um, when we get that from the very first scene, where Brulard orders Moreau to take the anthill, even though they both know that that's pointless, they both know that 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 position just can't be taken. And even if it could be taken, it really probably wouldn't amount to much because it's not that far away. And it benefits the jer- them not at all. It benefits them not at all. And but. After Moreau agrees to do it, and then he's promised a promotion, especially all of a sudden, you know, he's so determined to take it, or at least to to push blame for not taking it off of him, that he's like, oh, yeah, if they won't take it, then we'll fire on our own men. 
And mm-hmm. if we and if and if they still won't take it, then we'll have people executed for cowardice because it's their fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. He it's has their a line fault. in there that says, "What was it? If they were, if they weren't cowards and they couldn't take the hill, then their bravery would have been proven by the blood in the in the trenches." Yeah, their dead bodies. In their the, dead yeah. bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's a great attitude to have. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Colonel Colonel Dax is the only officer who seems to recognize how wrong this is and also to try to do something about it. And again, his decency and his nobility counts for nothing. He accomplishes nothing. Um, and, and he fails because the officers above him only care about their careers and they don't take him seriously because they assume that that's what he really cares about too. You know, they think that he's not really this much of an idealist. He's just trying to move up the ranks the same as they are. Yeah. And yeah, this is an unsentimental, un, not, it's the exact opposite of like the romantic war movie that Hollywood up to this point has conditioned us to expect. The, the three innocent men are executed and there's no last second reprieve there's no miraculous victory colonel dax gives this impassioned like righteously indignant summation of the defense where he tells mm-hmm. them you'll regret this for the rest of your lives and this is one of those times where i'm ashamed to be a member of the human race and and it makes no difference like it makes no difference at all and there's no once you watch the movie and you sort of catch on to what's going on there's no, i mean there's no suspense there's no there's it's never even like every every time during that defense at the court martial I think that he, back there's it's suspenseful the first time you watch it you think so because you don't know what the movie's about yet. That's true. You might you you, you still have that expectation of well, there's going to be That's something. That's why I was making those jokes. You have an yeah. expectation based on what you had seen in previous war films. Yeah, you know, you think there's going to the, be something. That the order to fire on his own men would dissolve the entire thing, and the men would be freed. That's what you're hoping is going to happen. Right. Yeah. But guess what? <laughs> Doesn't happen. But yeah, like during the uh, during the defense, like every time he tries to raise some kind of defense for them, it gets slapped down. Mm-hmm. And so we just, it leaves you with this sense of dread of like, oh shit, you know, which is the feeling of dread that the men feel in the trench. And mm-hmm. we get, what we feel is just a very pale shadow of that, but we get a sense of that. We get a sense of what the condemned men feel. Like this mm-hmm. isn't going to work out. This isn't going to, this, this, we're, this is going to happen. Like we're not going to be saved. Um, and, you know, so Colonel Dax is doomed to fail because he's a decent man and war is not a decent enterprise and it isn't prosecuted by decent people. Um, and I don't think it's any coincidence that the other two great English language anti-war films, which for me would be All Quiet on the Western Front, which we've already reviewed, and also Johnny Got His Gun, um, are also set during the First World War. Yeah. And, and that's that's really as it should be, because, I mean, war in general is an innately tragic and ignoble thing. But World War One was surely of all the major worldwide conflicts was the least noble, the most tragic, mm-hmm. um, certainly of the 20th century, probably in all of human history, because it was so futile. The, the, the death and suffering that it inflicted on the world are just unimaginable and, and for so little benefit. You know, I mean, it was just all of this happened, all of this horror. And for what? For for practically nothing. Right. Um, and Kubrick gives us a sense of that. He gives us a sense of what that means. You know, he shows us the human cost. He shows us Private uh, Farrell sobbing on his way to the firing squad. Like he is just completely falling apart. He's holding on to the priest's arm and pleading and calling right. out to Christ. And it's like, this is what it's like. You know, he shows us the ridiculousness of Private Arnaud having to be tilted up on the stretcher because he's so 
injured from the fight that he can't even be awake for his own execution, but they're still mm-hmm. going to execute the guy. Um, and then he shows us these bloodless, just monsters, Moreau and Broulard afterwards, like patting each other on the back over how right. well it all went. Enjoying their breakfast. Um, enjoying their, their breakfast. Palace. Yeah, enjoying their breakfast in their mansion. Oh, the men really died well, didn't they? Um, I think this is Kubrick's first really great film. Um, he, he made a very, very good film before this, The Killing. Yep. But but I think Paths of Glory is his first truly great film. And for me, it's it's still, it remains one of his greatest films that he made, period. And this is the movie that put him on the radar for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I still like it as much as I do and why I count it as one of his very, very, very best works uh, is that it's his most humane. Um, yeah. Kubrick isn't really thought of as one of the cinema's great humanists. Um, his No. His, uh, he's his, pretty it, cold and dispassionate. He, he's very cold. His interest in his characters um, after this movie becomes a lot more clinical and detached. And and his view of humanity is very cynical. And it doesn't and it's cynical in this movie too, but this movie the cynicism is counterbalanced with the views of compassion and righteous indignation over the injustice right. of it all and the nobility of Dax. Like we get counter we get we see a glimpse of the good side as well as the bad side. Um but you know, he's he's still Stanley Kubrick at this point, or rather he's on his way to becoming Stanley Kubrick at this point. So we still get some Kubrickian touches, like those long tracking shots that you mentioned, uh the close-ups of people's faces um the way he'll cut sort sometimes it's almost counterintuitive the way he'll cut to a really wide perfectly framed shot for yep. something when things are just about to get super compelling it's like he pulls back and forces us to watch at a distance um but there's also a lot more sentiment than we're used to from kubrick's later films in fact i think uh dax's angry refusal to apologize to general moreau and then after that 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 great scene at the end of the soldiers humming along to the captured German woman singing um, are two of the most heartfelt scenes that Kubrick ever shot. Um, There is a sincerity there. There is an openness there. There is an invitation to share the pain of the characters. And it's an invitation that Kubrick extended less and less as his career continued. Um, And he went on to make, I I do think he made greater films than this, but they were also much colder films. And uh, those of us who love his work, we often celebrate Kubrick for his eye and his brain. And it's nice. His composition. His composition. Yeah. And it's nice to have Paths of Glory in his filmography because it reminds us that he had a heart, too. Yeah. Um, he didn't bring it out as often <laughs> after this. No. But it was there. So, I, yeah, I, I love this movie. It, it, you're right. It does make you angry. It, 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 it's like a gut punch. Um, but it's a great anti-war movie. It's a great movie, period. It's one of, it, to me, it's one of the best films that Kubrick ever made. So, yeah. Yeah. Your turn. Um, we've referenced All Quiet on the West, Western Front a couple of times. Um, and yeah. they're both anti-war films. Um, but All Quiet on the Western Front never made me angry. It made me depressed. Yeah. This movie intentionally makes you angry. And the reason is is because it actually shows the authority figures making the decisions that get men killed. Yeah. And they're making decisions based on personal gain rather than this is what's best. This is how we're going to win the war. Let's end this war. Let's get it at, Let's get it over with, right? Yeah. Typical war, uh, uh, American war tropes up until that point. This movie is like, everything's hopeless. It doesn't matter if you have ideals. It doesn't matter if you're in the right. It doesn't matter if you tell the truth. It doesn't matter what happens. What's going to happen is going to happen, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And yes, it isn't right, but you know what? There's nothing you can do. 
and that makes you angry. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the ultimate child tragedy of these three guys getting shot at the end, there is nothing Dax can do about it. Yeah. And the fact that his higher up, the Major General, thinks that it was all just a ploy to get um, Moreau's job is the thing that makes him the ang- angriest at most is because Dax is still in full possession of his humanity and he realizes that the men he works for don't have it. They don't have that anymore. That's why he says at the end, I pity you. This movie, like I said, if you're watching it for the very first time, you are expecting that the thing that they set up, which is Moreau's having ordered to or, ordering uh, to have the artillery fire on his own men, is going to be the thing that saves them at the end, and then they'll have this kind of happy ending. Well, you save the men, congratulately, blah blah blah. And then Moreau gets his comeuppance. Yeah, Moreau gets his comeuppance. Kind of. There's the implication that there's going to be an investigation. Maybe he will even get shot for it. Who knows? He just walks out indignantly, right? So you don't get the typical ending that would be for an American film. This feels like very much like a European film, mm-hmm. uh, aside from the fact that it was filmed in Europe. Um, but you don't get what you typically are looking for. You get something else. You get this movie is, without a doubt, an anti-war film. In other films, you'd have the camaraderie. You had it in All Quiet on the Western Front. Guys were, con- they, yay, yay, let's get around. You don't get that in this one. In fact, the soldiers turn on each other. You know, they one one unit drew lots to figure out who was going to go. Yeah. The other unit picked a guy who was unpopular, and he was going to be sent to his death, right? And then when all three of them together and locked up, they get in a fist fight. All the things that you would hope to find in a movie or, you know, oh, we're a band of brothers and, yeah, this sucks and our orders don't make any sense, that's gone. He no. strips away all sentimentality and just leaves it for you to be like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. This sucks. <laughs> um, his cinematography here is great and its use is fantastic. The big wide open shots are when you're on at the mansion. Great, big, huge. Oh, look at the, the make sure that you know. Look how big the mansion is. Look how long these hallways are. Look how opulent where they're spent. You know where they are. You get these great big wide shots of everything that is in that office: the gold leaf furniture and the sconces and the. And every time uh, he goes in there, they seem to be eating or drinking or having cigars or whatever. Then you cut to the front lines, and everything is cramped. You know the trench is what maybe seven feet across. Yeah. Everyone is smashed up against it. When you want to get into into Colonel Dax's quarters, you actually actually have hunch over and crawl your way into the room when you see the guys bunking down they're getting into these little tiny almost coffin like little um, bunks when they're there everything's claustrophobic and and tight and then you cut to the mansion everything is broad and open um and then he uh when when they do the charge when they finally want to take the anthill he changes his cinematography again and puts you right down on the ground most of the time right behind um kirk douglas as they make the charge and, um, you know, bombs are going off. It looks he did it because, and this is one of the reasons why it was in black and white. Most other films in Hollywood were color. He wanted it to look like wartime footage from World War One, mm-hmm. And he succeeded in doing it. And it was awful. And it, boy, oh boy, did Steven Spielberg crib notes from this movie. As did some other movies took took notes from this one as well. Big time. Um, it's a fantastic film. It really is. It's as angry as it is, as bleak it is, as it is. 
it's nice to see a movie that had a firm grasp on what it was trying to say and it made makes its points very very well you are so angry by the end of this that you're like i don't know why colonel dax just doesn't blow his head brains out i don't know how he manages and you realize he's doing it for his men if he's not there then all of his men are you know potentially in danger from the people who are above him so yeah uh steve yes classic or not classic <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go classic on this yeah i'm going classic too <laughs> And you may not walk away with this with a little skip in your step. Oh, unless no. you love films and you're like marveling at at how well this film is made and how it accomplishes what it accomplishes. But as far as an experience, yeah, you're going to get if you don't if you are in a bad mood and you want to be in a good mood, don't watch this movie. Oh no. No, no. But if watching a well-crafted movie makes puts you in a good mood, I mean, yeah, definitely it might it might lift your spirits. You might be like, oh, damn, in nineteen fifty-seven they made this. <laughs> wow. All right, Steve. Uh, oh yeah. Now it's time for us to not recommend something. Oh yeah. You ready for your not recommend? <laughs> I got one. Okay, good. Go. For I got it. one. Oh, my not recommend. It turns out there are a lot of really bad war movies. Who would have thought that? Get out of that? town. Who really? would have thought that? Uh, so the, no I picked. Way. I, I I picked a doozy this time. The the movie I chose to not recommend is not only a bad war movie, not only an infamously bad war movie. Some people, some people would call this one of the worst movies ever made. You're not doing the Green Berets again. No, I'm not. I did the Green Holy Berets shit, there's before. There's more than one. <laughs> I know. This one is so bad, actually. Yeah. It has it has never officially been released on home video. The only reason I have seen it and other people have seen it is because it has been shown on TV a few times. But it's uh-huh. n- since it was released in theaters, but it's never been officially released on home video. And when I say the name of the film, those of you who are who are aware of this film's existence will know exactly why that is because the film I am not recommending is a war movie from 1981 called okay. called Inchon. Oh, fuck. Right? Not only is it notoriously awful, but also it lost all the money. <laughs> it opened It opened in theaters, and it lost all the money. Um, <laughs> and it stars, just to give you an idea of maybe why this isn't such a great movie, uh, it stars Laurence Olivier oh, as General Douglas MacArthur. General- MacArthur. Now, you might think to yourself, uh, Olivier doesn't strike me as a Douglas MacArthur type. And you'd be right. Uh-huh. They make him look a little like MacArthur. They give him the hair. They give him the comb over, you know. You but, and I could look like MacArthur if they really wanted us to look true. like MacArthur. That's true. If they shaved the middle of our heads and gave us a Douglas MacArthur comb over and <laughs> and like and like a, a 1940s army uniform where we could hitch the pants like up over our stomachs. Yeah, stick a corncob pipe in our stick mouth. Stick a pipe in a our mouth. Sunglasses and bing. Yeah, there there's your MacArthur. Good job. Go out. But yeah, so and and not Olivier's shining moment. I know uh, <laughs> opinions can vary on Lawrence Olivier nowadays as to whether he was a good actor or just a really right. terrible ham actor who convinced people he was a good actor <laughs> but whatever you think of olivier's talents they are not on display here uh he doesn't do a very good job it's a it's a really bad movie it's two and a half hours it was interestingly enough it was financed by the reverend sun myung moon 
who oh, there's fun. Oh, yeah, wow. Who some of you By might a cult. Yeah, some of you might know as as a as a infamous cult leader. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it and I mean on paper it has a decent cast. Like in addition to Olivier, it also has Ben Gazzara and Jacqueline Bissett, Toshiro Mifuni. For yeah. God's sake, what's he doing in this movie? Um, getting money for Bose. Getting exactly. <laughs> David Jansen, Richard Roundtree, like it's a decent cast on paper, but it's just garbage. I mean, the, the most disappointing thing about it is when you watch it, it, it you can't really see where the money went. It plays like kind of just a, like a 1970s TV show. You know, it's not well shot. It's not well edited. It just kind of is, it's like, oh, here's a bunch of famous people in a really expensive episode of, you know, like the A-Team or something. I mean, it, it just doesn't feel Lawrence like... Lawrence Olivier in the A-Team. Lawrence Olivier as B.A. Baracus in the A-Team. <laughs> I'm telling you I shan't get on that plane. I played Othello. This is fine. I can play Baracus. I can... Now put on that face paint and give me my mohawk. <laughs> give me my... Yes. What? I'm an actor. Why, yes, I would like a glass of milk, Murdoch. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, problematic my foot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my not recommendation, Inshawn. If you haven't seen it, it is a, there is a version of it available on YouTube, uh, but don't run out and see it. Uh, it's not. Just take my word no. for it if you have avoided it to this point. <laughs> no one want to see that movie. Oh, boy. Oh. Okay, well, as you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, so it's 1957, and John Wayne was still making military films. Oh, boy. <laughs> But this movie had a little problem. The movie is called Jet Pilot. Oh. Because they couldn't come up with something better. <laughs> and it stars John Wayne as a jet pilot. When the working Janet- title becomes the title. <laughs> and Janet Lee plays a woman. <laughs> and it's basically a commercial for the Air Force. That took so long to produce, because they started filming in 1949, that by the time the movie came out, all of the planes in the film were no longer being used by the Air Force. Wow. Yippee! <laughs> wow. It's shit. <laughs> Don't see it unless you just want to watch a commercial for outdated airplanes. It's bad, it's boring, it's awful. Don't see it. And now... Steve? Oh boy, my favorite part. Time for you to make a terrible choice. (laughs) And you know what? I think after this lighthearted romp Uh. through the fields of (laughs) Germany. Yes, indeed. We need something to pick up our mood. Uh, I would agree. So, as you guys may or may not know, now is the time where Steve will pick blindly from three movies that I have selected. Okay. He does not know what these films are. And he's going, like I said, he's going to pick blindly. Now, the movies that I've selected are all animated films. Oh, okay. Some of them are good and have great reputations. Some of them are considered classics. One of them isn't. Oh, boy. (laughs) Any of those things. Oh, boy. So, Steve, A, B, or C? You know, it seems like more often than not, I end up regretting the choice I make. But uh, I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to go with A. Hey, hooray! <gasps> I picked a good one? Well, in my opinion. Okay. Had you chosen B, we would have reviewed the extraordinarily problematic oh. classic Disney film, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. We were like, problematic. And it was like, just... Ugh. Yes. <laughs> He's not a good guy. Yes. <laughs> 
Had you chosen C, we would have watched the cinematic flop, one of the movies that Disney regrets making, The Black Cauldron. Oh, okay. But you chose A, a classic to this day, and one, and probably my favorite Disney animated film. Oh, boy. The next movie that we're going to review is Pinocchio. Oh, cool. You've never seen it, have you? I've seen it once when I was a little, little kid. Okay, well, yeah. now you get to watch it again. Yeah. And I can't wait for your disappointment. Oh, boy. And that's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our show once again. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. And remember what my mother always used to tell me as she tucked me into bed at night. There are a few things more fundamentally encouraging and stimulating than seeing someone else die. Really? That's what she would always tell me. And then she would kiss me on the forehead and be like... And then murder someone? Good night. (laughs) I think she just wanted to give me sweet dreams. By telling you that there's nothing more inspiring than seeing another guy die? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Steve. hmm? What else? What other fun advice did your mom give you? Oh, you know, she would... What was Christmas like? She would say things like, you know, when it was time for me to learn how to drive, you know, she would say, don't forget, you're driving a two-ton death machine. (laughs) And she would say it just like that. She whispered in my ear. You know, at Christmas time, this used to be a festival where they'd hunt one man down <laughs> to make sure that no one, in, so that they'd have enough food to last the rest of the winter. <laughs> what? If you get a bean in your slice of pie, you're the one. <laughs> remind me. What, to, mommy? <laughs> remind me to tell you someday about your older brother. But I don't have an older brother. Exactly. <laughs> Why did everyone get get knives for presents? And I only got a pair of running shoes. What's going on? Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, my darling. Steve, we need to talk about your home life. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will. We will. We should. Are you all right? I'm fine. I'm good. It's bringing back memories. That's all. I'm fine. Because there's te- tears streaming straight down your face. I'm fine. I'm really okay. I'm good. Okay. I'm well, good. say goodbye to nice okay, people. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, goodbye, everybody. The pills. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. No, I think you need to double the dose. Okay. I'll call my doctor. Oh, don't call him. (laughs) I want you to immediately transfer this baby out of my regiment. I won't have another brave... Oh, dear, turned into a goat. Mid-sentence. <laughs> Damn this um, absurd war. It's like that seed in Pinocchio. <clears throat> Late Seeding is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash lemmelisten. And... Thanks for listening.